This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I am sitting here with my trusty cohorts, Becky Avara and Carolyn Mele. Um, we are talking today to members from Eat to Perform. So if you're listening to this and you're interested in becoming a member, you can go to www.eatperform.com. These are actually a portion of our lifetime members, which we actually have um, most of the programs that do offer lifetime membership often base it off of some weird goal or something in this nature. What we try to do, this is actually the, this is actually what we want, right? We want people to be managing their weight and health um, for life with food as an ally, right? And so most of the time, most of the people on this call are actually eating more um, and not in these endless dieting cycles. And so we're going to try and talk a little bit more about performance today, but I also wanted to um, bring to the table a topic that is something that actually doesn't get done a lot as it relates to weight loss, fat loss, and that's proactively looking at what your cycle should look like, right? And, and I can give some examples as we go, but if you think about it, most of you that are listening to this have probably spent most of your life reacting to weight being up or a trip or something of that nature that really isn't super helpful as it relates to long-term goals, right? It's really reacting rather than being proactive about your journey. And so when we look, one of the reasons why we wanted to do this one is specifically on this date um, is because the good majority of people that are working within each reform, they have kind of these general outlines of when fat loss should happen. Now you can choose whenever you want. And one of the things that I would definitely have had this discussion this week with a few people is that you want to build in the idea that I'm going to talk about, but also build it in flexible, right? Um, because I think what happens is, is if you walk into the situation and you go, well, I'm going to do this for nine months. And then all of a sudden your weight starts to bug you. You'll almost feel like you don't have options. Your coach can walk you through various options, right? And what, often happens in that scenario, by the way, Carolyn, you mentioned uh, someone cutting their grass and certainly my neighbor just immediately started cutting their grass. Um, so hopefully it doesn't show up too much on the audio, but you know, without that proactive way of looking things, um, you know, that can get messy, but also this idea that, oh, I have to wait to that specific day, right? can also become paralyzing because if you're if you're going for nine months and you decide to stop at eight and a half months because you know your weight is starting to bother you or maybe 
something came up, a wedding or something that it just actually works out a little bit better to be more proactive and, and start your, your fat loss cycle at eight months. One of the things that I think happens is that many of you think that we don't want you in fat loss, right? And that is not true. Um, what we want to do is get you to numbers where we know that fat loss will be successful, right? And the only factor that will come in as we are proactively helping you get to these numbers and cycles is if you are too low. So let me give you an example. So let's say that someone, you know, is considering fat loss, has proactively looked towards it, and they want to do what I'm saying. If you're at 1,700 calories, we're going to say no, right? Now, what we'll often do in that scenario is say, well, why don't we start in four weeks? And right now, we'll go ahead and and start reversing you all the way to where we need to, and then we can get going. Now, a lot of people find that frustrating, but the data is very clear on our side. You know, all you're going to do is um, build in this idea that you're going to have success and then you won't have success, right? And so I talk about this a lot. And, and I, I also want to kind of mention this from the standpoint of, of performance, right? When we're talking about performance, you know, the calories need to be higher. And so one of the biggest mistakes that we've seen, you know, within what we do, right? So the one thing that I, I like to be very clear about with all of you is that not everything that we do is perfect, but we're changing as we go. I don't really see other programs talking about that. And, and the reason why I think it's important that you know that, that we do make changes and that we do get better um, is because, you know, I think many of you have been following kind of these rigid ideas for a long time without a lot of success, right? And at least that's the feedback that we get. The reality is, is that there's a lot of trial and error that needs to happen in these scenarios that honestly, on an individual basis, it's hard to tell how people are going to respond to that. And I understand that that gets frustrating when, when weight loss is your North Star. But if you can change that North Star to health, now we've got a whole different equation because all of us know on this call that we're more healthy with more food, not, not over-consuming food, right, but more food. And so because of the amount of data that we have, and there's a lot of people that will go, well, but what about me? What if I'm different? The math is always the math, right? Is that if you are at 1,700 calories, what you're going to find is that if you move to 1,500 calories, 1,300 calories, and then let's say 1,100 calories, you're going to lose like three to five pounds. And most people in that scenario is just going to be in a rinse and repeat. So that's why there has to be some length. Now, 
when we say nine months or six months, kind of depending on your various situations, you have to understand that we're, we're working with the data we have, but at the end of the day, you know, everybody's situation is a little bit different as it relates to age, as it relates to what you do. You know, I see a lot of people that over rely in um, a fat loss cycle on the calories. And because they're feeling less energy, they will often um, pull their workouts down without really kind of adjusting with lists, right? So, so you would probably, if you're adjusting your workouts down, you definitely want to keep those steps up in that scenario, similar to performance. We have a lot of people that get up to, you know, women that get up to 4,000 calories in performance. Well, I got bad news for you, right? This idea that you're earning calories to then make a fat loss cycle easier isn't what we see, right? What we see is that it kind of hurts for everyone, you know? Um, and if you're used to eating 4,000 calories, and you're an ultra marathoner and things of this nature, and we start to pull you down, you know, it's probably going to get fairly aggressive a lot of the time. And one of the things that we see that's really interesting in performance is that if we get, if you're in a training cycle, right, that's the worst time by far to pull things down. Because what we see is that the stress of your workouts, which, you know, many of you are, you know, we have a lot of really active people that do eat to perform, especially, especially our lifetime members, you know? And so what happens is, is that many of you, you know, are creating this stress environment, which is how you adapt to become an ultra marathoner or an Olympic weightlifter or all these great things that everybody's trying to do. But it's not set, it doesn't set up well when you're under eating so your body does preserve a little bit more and so we we do see people that are in that situation actually holding on to weight holding on to water holding on to to fat to a certain extent because the stress environment is preserving the performance side and not the not the weight loss side right and so Kind of keep that in mind as you move. But but the point of performance is not just because Paul wants you to eat more, right? Or Becky or Carolyn or Sonia or Crystal or all the other coaches that are on the call right now. It's because it serves a purpose. The idea is that at the top end, you're actually building muscle as you go and you're getting better at what you're doing. And that getting better is important. And so, so kind of keep that in mind, but, you know, I would, if I were you, I would base it like this. So let's say that you have 50 to 70 pounds to lose, right? In that instance, I think you probably want to be on six month cycle of performance, right? So, so in general, it's going to take around three and a half, uh, three and a half months to run a full cycle, right? Um, maybe inch out to four. You could, after four months, 
try it again if you reverse. But here's the problem with that. So we really want you to be at higher calories for most of the time. So what's going to happen? Well, most people are actually fairly conservative in their conversations with their coach. So it takes us at least two weeks, to, <clears throat> excuse me, to get in the range of normal, right? So, so now all of a sudden we're at four months, you know? Well, <clears throat> what, if you have a lot of weight to lose, are you going to want to gain a little bit of weight? Even if you'd lost 30 pounds, we see people that obsess about two to three pounds of fluctuation, maybe even three to five pounds of fluctuation. That should be sort of normal, right? If you think about it. Um, because, you know, you want to be able to get those calories and metabolism back so that you can draw from it again. But if we play it too close to the vest and we don't have enough time, so we, we then say, okay, Paul said six months, but he said, I could do it in four months. Were you at the top end of your calories? That's it. That's the, that's the answer to the question. And what we see is that many of you who cuddle up to dieting still kind of cuddle up to dieting. And I get it. And we get it, right? But at the same token, you know, do you want to lose another 20 to 30 pounds? Or do we want to lose eight? Because that's the difference, right? And so I see people getting like a great example, you know, um, and I think I've talked about it a few times, but. We had a, a guy start at 310. He's right at about 250 right now. And he's in performance. And he's the plan is to keep him in performance till January 1st. Now he could change his mind, right? And he's probably fine. His calories are relatively normal now, you know. Um, and oh, by the way, in that instance, in performance, you can still lose weight. People go, well, how do I do that, right? Well, I got bad news. It's effort, right? And and you have to push beyond where you're at now. Look, the body adjusts to whatever it is you're doing. So if you do 20,000 steps a day, even if you're eating 3,500 calories or something of this nature, your body's going to adjust to that within a few weeks. So the answer is you have to do something different, right? Something that's pushing that side of things more. and Frankly, is it necessary? Not really, <laughs> right? Like, like the only reason that you're pushing it is because you're being impatient, right? Now, if you want to push it to keep weight stable, okay, I can kind of hear that. Um, you're probably building lean muscle mass. There was actually a study, I posted it in all the community groups today, where as flexible eaters, um, the study you know, you can read the study and you can read my opinion on the study. But what was interesting is that flexible leaders actually gain um, lean mass better than clean eaters, right? And I speculated that clean eaters actually cling to less more, right? Because it's a little difficult, right? You're eating kale and you're eating your chicken and you're eating your lean beef, you know, and so ultimately that lends itself to not eating a lot of calories, you know? So there is that side of things. And then there's the other side of things where when you're eating your kale and you're eating your chicken and you're eating your sirloin, 
and you go, screw this. You know, I'm going to try and enjoy myself. A lot of the times, if you're under eating in that instance, you know, the wheels can kind of come off at least once. But what do we know about at least once? Well, if you're checking your weight and your weight goes up three pounds and your clean eating isn't working, you might just say, fuck it. <laughs> right. And now we were creating a much bigger problem. You got to think of under eating as a very sensitive time for your system. Right. And you don't want to be playing with that to the point where, you know, this is, this is the, this is the worst thing about cheat meals, right? Is that when you look at cheat meals, one, it's just a very negative mindset to have, you know, when we're talking about food, right? And your relationship with food, because everything, you know, you cheat on a test at school, you cheat on your wife, you cheat on all these things. They all have negative connotations. So our brains naturally go to, I'm doing something bad, something I should feel guilty for. Enjoying food is never something you should feel guilty for, right? Um, and I think a lot of that lends itself to kind of these lists of foods ideas. And I only eat this list of foods between five to 11, and then you consume like 4,000 calories, you know, within that time window. Um, that is just really, really not a, not a great way to go, right? And it's also very hard from a performance standpoint, because when we look at like how food loads, it's going to load really in a 24-hour window. So you get that one day, that's awesome. I remember this video of like a low-carb guy, right? And um, basically, you know, his idea was that he was going to go ahead and, you know, have a cheat meal after like a super low carb week. And then the very next morning, he just went in and burned up all his glucose stores. I mean, first of all, just the idea of that, as if the glucose stores are not going to somehow come back through the process of gluconeogenesis, it comes back no matter what. So this idea that this dude thought he was creating this thing. Now he's, he's certainly creating a calorie deficit from that. But like I said, with the 20,000 steps, after a few weeks, your body is going to figure that out, right? And so now all of a sudden you have done this thing that is really stressful for your system and you're doing it to earn you know, enchiladas, right, that you had on a list, along with three pints of ice cream, and just all these things that that kind of happen when you have like this cheat mindset, as it relates to food. This is why your super days have, you know, some some parameters to them. Now, on your super days, can you eat somewhat flexibly? I would actually hope that you do, right? The study that I talked about, the article that I just wrote about clean eating versus flexible dieting, you know, I, I think there is a certain amount of rigidity that needs to happen in fat loss. And that's why the, the periods are short. But in performance, you should kind of push that a little bit. Now, I get it, right? You lose a lot of weight in fat loss, and you kind of want to keep all that weight off. But if we can look at it as spurring on these great achievements and things of that nature, not earning food, 
right? Like the, you know, we did a few podcasts this week. One of the podcasts with, um, was with new people. And it's very difficult to get new people out of the mindset of earning food, right? Just because it's drilled into them so hard all over social media, all over all these things, right? And it's similar to what I just said with the case of the low carb guy that, you know, is working through this, you know, you hear Joe Rogan talks about it all the time, who, who's a big low carb advocate. I, I, I don't really follow Joe, low, uh, Joe Rogan, so he may have changed his opinion on it, but I don't think he did. Um, but he talks about pasta all the time. You want to know who doesn't talk about pasta all the time? People that eat pasta, <laughs> right? Like I can eat pasta whenever I want, you know? So the mindset of kind of this rigidity you know, when we're in performance, you should push those calories um, occasionally outside of the plan, right? And you just have to be a little bit more comfortable that the idea isn't weight loss, it's weight stability. And sometimes that weight stability might take six to 10 days to come back, right? Especially in the case of women, we see a lot more fluctuation well, we see a lot more fluctuation with people with more weight um, to to lose, right? And then also women will will fluctuate three to five pounds based on time of month and hormones and things of that nature. So a lot of times people kind of get obsessed about these ideas when, you know, there's really nothing of great concern, right? We have kind of these days set up the way that they're set up so that we can, you know, have a check-in and go, okay, you're doing fine, right? And then as we, as, you know, we become, you know, I don't want to say concerned because I don't think that's the right word here, but, you know, to give an example of what we're talking about right now, let's say that we proactively um, have a fat loss cycle set for September 5th, right? So the big, the big three um, dates are right after Labor Day, right after the, the new year, and right around March because people are starting to get ready mindset-wise for the summer and vacations and things of that nature. Um, there is sort of this weird period that kind of just happened in July, you know, where people it's a little bit more reactionary you know but a lot of times you know if you're halfway through june um you might say to your coach can we start a fat loss in july 4th because it's, it's getting bad you know and so that's something you know to think about but i think you know in coaches shake of a shake of a head it's labor day it's first of the year and it's march right and so, so I think those are good. Um, those are good, like pit stops to proactively look towards, right? Um, if you know, I mentioned I mentioned somebody that has a lot of weight to lose. I think most of you should be on a nine month and three month cycle, right? Um, and then, if you're a long term eat to performer, I, I want you to look at it in terms of years, right? And so I've mentioned it a lot. Um, for me, it's five years at a time because I know how to do it right, right? So why would I do it wrong? You know, 
Now, for many of you, maybe mentally wise, it wouldn't help you, right? Um, I think I talked about it on, on, I don't, I don't think I've uploaded it yet, but I'm getting more and more comfortable, you know, being right at 200 or slightly over. So there's a part of me that just never wants to go back, right? Because I can lift more, I can do more. Now, does it affect my body weight workouts? Does it affect my running and cardio and things of this nature? It does, but compared to the average person, I'm doing great. Right. And so, you know, you have to sort of, if your North Star isn't weight and it's health, now all of a sudden you can be in that five year mindset. But I would challenge all of you to be in that two to three year mindset if you can. Right. But if you're constantly, you know, as a woman getting to 160 or, finding it very difficult. You're 5'11 as a woman and, and you know, you're 205 and you're constantly going back to 205. Maybe 205 is the number, right? And, and can you be healthy at 205? I think that answer is yes. We see data that says yes, right? And so um, it's these rigid ideas related to what we weigh and how we weigh rather than what we do. And so if we can go more towards the, the what we do, I think we'd be in a good spot. All right, so I think we covered that really well. There was somebody that direct messaged me. Um, I would prefer it if people did not direct message me, but let's see. So she was just saying, that's what I love about this program, the built-in flexibility with ongoing improvement in performance. So yeah, the... Um, but when you're when you're sending to chat, send it send to all because that's how Carolyn can read them, right? Um, you know, it's interesting about what she's saying though, because within that flexibility, you know, there is options, and don't just because you pick September fifth, feel like there's nothing that can be done, right? That you have to just gain weight, you know. And we know, we talk about this a lot, that, you know, it's not, it's not the macros that are necessarily gaining, having you gain weight, right? We all kind of know that, right? We take a trip to Vegas, and then we got to come back, and coach is saying, get back on the plan, and you'll be fine. Well, that's a little frustrating when your weight's up five pounds, and you did a fat loss cycle that, where you lost 20 pounds, right? So your tendency is to want to panic and undereat as a result, you know? Um, more often than not, your coach is right, you know, but if things do linger for whatever reason, we do have some options that we can do. Now, those options do come with consequences. If we're trying to build up these, you know, nine month cycles and within those nine month cycles, we mini cut four times, you're kind of missing the point, right? Um, maybe we might want to start looking at managing that trip to Vegas. Right. Because, you know, you can have a good time eating twenty five hundred calories, not necessarily five thousand calories. And also, by the way, you know, we don't have, we don't really have to have the discussion about alcohol, do we? You know, I mean, you know, I was recently in Cancun and I get it, man. I get it. We're all under stress. We all have difficult jobs and things this this nature. So so, you know. 
I get that on vacation, you would overconsume alcohol probably differently than you would in your real life. But, you know, there needs to be some limits to that. I know for myself, having my travel scale was really super helpful. I think travel scales are great because, you know, if I'm on a 10 day vacation and by three to four days in, my weight's starting to creep up a little bit. On that one day, I just mix in a salad and I'm good, right? But if I don't know what things are, then the tendency would be to go a little bit higher. Um, okay, let's, I need everybody to stay muted as we go, because otherwise it affects the, the podcast. But if you have a question, just use chat. Um, okay. So, Carolyn, if you could read the questions, that would be great. Yep, we've got a question about um, AP right before fat loss. Um, they're asking, do you go beast mode in your workouts in that phase? Uh, okay, so, so beast mode is basically earning food, right? Um, so let's look at, let's take away earning food and let's look at it from the standpoint of building. Are you really going to build in that time period? There's some argument for yes, actually. Um, because you're actually more insulin sensitive coming from, like if you wonder why your body will sometimes gain weight as calories come back, more often than not, it will stabilize and come down afterwards. In the immediate period, what we do is talk to you about being very careful because your body's more insulin sensitive in that moment. So it's more prone to store, not just fat, but, but also water, also all the things that has basically been missing, right? In the period where you're under consuming. And so I'm not a huge fan of beast mode I mean, we joke about it a little bit. I'm sure I say it. Uh, I don't. I don't feel a reason not to say it. But I'm not a huge fan of of getting vastly out of the plan. Like even in fat loss, most of my deadlift progressions, most of my squat progressions, they're going to all be similar, right? Um, it's just you might need more recovery you know, to allow for that, but most of my lifts aren't, aren't too crazy. Beast moding in my view is, is sort of working on a hypertrophy cycle or maybe moving to a little bit more of performance. So like endurance, as an example, um, you can certainly, you know, I mean, we were talking about effort earlier. That is one thing that does help with effort. The problem that you run into in that scenario is that you're less likely to hold on to muscle if you're overdoing endurance work, right? So I actually like in AP, I mean, if, if you were to ask me what's the best thing to do in AP, it's band work. That's the answer, right? Because um, your body is more prone to build lean mass in that instance. And so nothing is more favorable for hypertrophy than band work, right? Um, 
And you go, well, why, why band work? Well, one, if you've ever worked with bands, it's very easy to get in volume. Now it hurts <laughs> when you're done and you're often sore, but that volume adds up a lot quicker than let's say if you were working with a 35 pound dumbbell, right? So if you were asking me what I would do in AP, that's what I would do in AP. And then I would try to keep steps reasonable. But if I'm doing eight to 12,000 steps normally, I would probably cut down to, I would say five to 8,000 steps in that instance. What we don't wanna do is get into this period where we're sort of earning food. Now, should you have, you know, some of these days where, you know, you have in kind of longer cardio, I would say that there's probably an argument for that, right? Where, you know, we're having one or, one or two days a week where you're allowing for that kind of thing. Um, but coaches will recommend that you up your steps a little bit if weight is starting to tick up a little bit, right? So band work, lower steps as much as you can, but maybe keep some cardio, you know, for me, I do hit in that scenario. Um, you know, it's kind of hard because like, you know, for a long time, I tested a lot of these ideas, but it's been so many years since I tested those ideas, you know? So a lot of what I'm talking about is just the experience that we're having with clients that is more favorable, but also kind of what I know as it relates to how to build muscle and what we're trying to do in various phases, because, you know, in AP and PR, we're trying to build muscle right? We're trying to build lean mass. And that's what you see. That's what was so amazing about that study is that once the study was over, the flexible eaters, which is all of you, um, they actually gained four and a half pounds of muscle in a 20 week period compared to the, the rigid eaters, which was the clean eating group, right? And the working theory, um, along with the fact that, you know, clean eaters often under eat is that you know all of you can eyeball your calories a little bit better they could they could eat kind of whatever they wanted in that 20 week period right and so they were probably you know well there's no there's no probably they were in a surplus right that's how they gained four and a half pounds of muscle right but it also stood to reason that you know I mean, when I talk to a clean eater and I ask them how much protein they eat, they often are under eating protein, which is odd because part of, you know, clean eating in general is that you're going to be higher in protein. But more often than not, they're really super low carb, which doesn't allow for that um, protein synthesis, right? So as you're breaking down all this muscle, you know, in your workouts, you want protein synthesis or protein turnover to happen that allows for you to build that lean mass. And so that's why when you see like the pictures in the community group and things of that nature with these people with amazing transformations, it's not just the weight loss. I know that a lot of people's North Star is weight loss, but man, you see a lot of recomp with a lot of people. And that's just because flexible eaters in general can eye food and go, okay, well, I definitely need to get in 130 grams of protein. And this is what I have to do to do that. Right. And with a clean eater, 
the defaults are just a little bit different. So kind of keep that in mind. Okay, we've got a question from Rich. You kind of touched on a lot of this. Um, is there a roadmap to work backwards from, uh, he's got a beach vacation planned for next June and wants to be in the best shape possible. So example, you said typically people start fat loss one on nine five. So is it also typical people come off fat loss in late May or go into APPR for the summer or is that too large to have a nine month plan? Yeah, so um, I think the answer to that question is actually January 1st, right? So if we're looking at June, you know, I would say we want to give like that three month window, um, possibly up to four months. Like, you know, we say this all the time, but in reality, it doesn't actually happen that much. Um, your coach will allow you to continue losing weight if you're losing weight. So you kind of want to build that in, right? So if we can start around January 1st, or I don't know where the weekend lies this year. Um, so it might be January 3rd. But um, if we can build in a little bit of flexibility, because if you're still losing weight, we're going to allow you to continue on. So that will put you at right around April, right? That gives you two months to, for calories to come back to normal so that you can go on vacation without having to gain eight to 10 pounds, right? I mean, you might still gain a little bit of weight, but we're seeing so many people that are talking about you know, how little they're gaining or actually how they're not gaining any at all and actually have lost weight. The reason why I think that that's happening more this year than probably any other year before is because of the standards that we've been setting along the way, right? Where, you know, you kind of only know what you know when you know it, right? And I would say even close to three to four years ago, you know, it would be very common for someone to, you know, get kind of in their head about their weight and they might be at 1700 calories and then we pull them down and it does virtually nothing. Right. We just got tired of doing that to the point where we were willing to lose customers. Right. Because we only know what we know. Right. And so, you know, there is no math that allows for a lot of progress when your calories aren't high enough, right? And I understand it freaks you out. And I also understand, like, like I remember somebody saying to me, I'm so frustrated, I want to quit. And I was like, so what are you going to do? Like, what's the big plan? You know, like, are you just going to start binge eating all the time? Or are you going to raise calories, 500 calories? No, that's not what you're going to do, right? There's no expectations when you're eating 1,200 calories a day, right? And so more often than not, when somebody's quitting, right, they just want to undereat anonymously. And there's not, a lot of, there's not a lot of expectations of you as a human being, right, when you're undereating all the time. Like when we say, people always ask me, you know, can I do this without exercise? And the answer is no, right? But do you consider walking exercise? And more often than not, they'll say yes. And then if you think about all of us in our journeys, right? Some of us do great things, ultra marathons and, 
and Tough Mudders and just all these things that challenge all of us. More often than not, we started, you know, kind of gradually. And then as we added capacity, we added all these other things because it brought more joy to our life, right? If you're adding these things because you're looking for a specific thing, you're looking for abs or, or something of this nature, you're essentially putting a timeline on that goal, right? And so, you know, if you can find what you love, even if it doesn't give you abs, you'll stick with it a lot longer, right? And so let me give you an example and get back to the question that Rich asked. If I was working on body composition and I know that I don't love hypertrophy work, right? And I know that I don't love ab work as an example, you know, a good fat loss cycle might be a good time to do that, right? Because, you know, you're putting a natural timeline on something that you don't enjoy as much as paddleboarding. But, you know, you know, you would kind of like a certain look in Cancun, you know? So that's a good time to do it, right? Um, now, is it best for muscle building and hypertrophy and, and things of that nature? Maybe not best, but if you were doing paddleboarding and then you took up hypertrophy work or ab work or something of that nature, you do sort of get a version of newbie gains, right? And so um, you will see progress. You will hold on to muscle. Now, it might hurt your, your end game for fat loss, right? Um, I, I'm saying that wrong. It's not going to necessarily hurt your in-game for fat loss. It's going to hurt your in-game for weight loss, right? Because the hypertrophy work is going to hold water in your cells and glucose in your cells and preserve, you know, all the things you need for this great capacity, right? And so kind of keep that in mind that, you know, if your tendency is to work out five to six days, your body's going to hold on to a little bit more of that water, glucose, all the things that, that you need um, somewhat as a stress response, right? So towards the end, you know, one of the things we're doing more and more is that in the last week to two weeks, we're having people move more and more towards lists. Because when you think about those phases, one, you know, you really want to lose as much weight as possible. Don't kid yourself, right? There's a strong correlation between how much weight you lose and how much fat you lose, right? And so, you know, is there some advantage to not losing muscle because you're using lists? Um, yeah, there is, right? Um, now, will you see a little bit of a rebound? I have a great example of a client where, she was kind of stuck at about 146. I think we landed at 138.7 towards the end where um, she was in the first three weeks. So we went to, to mostly list with like one or two days of, of strength training. She got down to 138. Um, she's sitting at like 140 to 141. One thing that a lot of coaches are going to do um, is kind of counsel you. 
right? We all have these numbers that mean so much to us, right? The 129.9 and and uh, for men, it might be 189.9. A lot, of, a lot of times those things sort of mess you up more than they help you, right? Because they don't allow for the bigger picture. So when we're talking to clients, we're trying to walk them through that piece that even though we get to 138.9, don't freak out if you end up at 140.6, right? Or 141, right? We started 15 pounds higher, we're 15 pounds lower. You know, we did some things that are really more weight loss focused. So when we take those things away and we sort of move to more performance focused eating, it is going to change that weight. Sometimes that is going to be a, a little bit of weight gain, especially if you're doing things the way that I should think they should be done, right? To where you're doing things that you love, not necessarily trying to punish yourself, trying to, you know, keep your weight stable. You know, I think that's a that's a bad mentality that we all need to sort of get away from as well. And and if you think that that I'm different or Carolyn's different or Becky or Sonia or Crystal or, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some other coaches. We all have these things also, right? We're, we're bothered by these things also, you know, but we can push it out. You know, when I, when I started studying meditation, um, which by the way, I don't do, I am like the least um, meditation person there is, but I do have meditative moments. Um, I do have, I, I, I understand the value of staying present at least. Um, but in meditation, one of the things that they tell you is not to <clears throat> ignore the things that you're feeling or seeing or whatever. It's that to allow them to have space in your brain and then move on, right? Um, the more you kind of deny it, the more likely it is to kind of dominate your spirit and come back, right? That's about as spiritual as I'll get on these podcasts. But I think it is sort of important to just allow your body or allow your brain to, to realize that, no, I want to talk about this. Okay, well, let's talk about this, but then let's push that away and bring in the more reasonable approach, right? But not allowing your brain to unpack it I think just lends itself to it dominating you over time, right? And so, so I think that that's helpful, but which is a long way from Rich's original question. Um, but you know what's interesting, and I understand I'm not for everyone, right? I understand, you know, people, some of the criticisms of the podcast is, man, this guy rambles on, you know. You can see how my brain works. You can see like in, in the articles that are right. I write like I talk, right? Um, because as I'm thinking of things, I'm like, ooh, this is really important. Let me bring this up, right? And so I'm just trying to bring to bear a lot of what we all feel, right? A lot of all what we all experience. And some people appreciate that. And then the other people are like, I need to lose 30 pounds in the next five seconds. I don't give a shit what this guy says about meditation. I'm probably not for you. We're probably not for you, right? That doesn't work. We know that that doesn't work. So me explaining to you why it doesn't work in depth is me trying to show you there's a better way, right? 
And if I sound urgent in that discussion, it's because it's important. We're the only people talking about this kind of stuff. We're the only people talking about the transparency. The, the articles that we've been writing showing you kind of the behind the scenes stuff where some people are struggling and this is why they're struggling and this is what we do to try and get past that struggle. You know, if you think about a lot of the weight loss programs you would have done or, or whatever, you know, I mean, that's why the Noom thing drives me crazy. When Noom talks about, well, it's the psychology. Really? Is it the psychology? Because I think it's the 1,200 calories, bro, right? I mean, you know, this whole idea that all of a sudden they have like, they've unlocked your brain so that your brain can under eat all the time is bullshit, you know? But, you know, Noom will come and go just like every, every other thing does. Or maybe they become the new Weight Watchers right? Where people go to Weight Watchers. I mean, I remember one of the best things that I think Susan's ever said on a podcast is that we all kind of knew the deal with Weight Watchers all along, right? Is that, you know, you're going to use it a lot, right? Because the North Star is, is eating less in that instance. And so if we never allow people to normalize calories, then we never show them the true answer. And so that's why I talk about that so much, right? And why performance is important. Like even, you know, um, the, the criticism, we're not talking about performance. We are talking about performance. We're talking about normalized calories quite a bit, right? And it sounds like we're talking about dieting, but in reality, you know, most of you on this lifetime call are dieting infinitely less than most of the people that are around you. And as a result, you know, maybe they have abs and you don't right? But you have a more full life, right? And you're living a more healthful life, right? This idea that eating less all the time is a more healthful life is bullshit. And I think we all know that. And I think secretly they know that, right? But they're, they've been imprisoned by these thoughts, you know? So, <laughs> so Rich, start on January 1st, um, get to about um, April, and then we'll be able to normalize calories by, by June. You're touching on a lot of these questions as you talk, but I'm going to keep running through them. Um, Miranda is asking, is it common to see the scale move up in PR when increasing lifting? If your weight is up in PR, should you have your coach pause your bumps or continue with the bumps when you are not planning a fat loss soon? So it sort of depends on what your calories are, right? If your calories are above 2000, then, then maybe you could pause. Here's the reason why you wouldn't pause. What are you doing the weightlifting for, right? You're doing the weightlifting to get better at weightlifting so that you can build muscle and things of this nature. Otherwise, just stop doing weightlifting, right? And just, you know, try and take up long endurance or something. But, you know, kind of defeating the purpose of the weightlifting seems incorrect. Now, how would you address it? Well, you know, I, I wrote an article about this a while back, you know, and it was, it was, it was a discussion between Stephanie Burke and I, you know, and she was discussing the same thing that, that you're asking. And I said, well, quit lifting all those weights all the time. And I was like, are you ready to give that up? And she's like, of course not. I was like, well, then you have to understand that weightlifting is anabolic. You're trying to build right? And in trying to build, 
you're going to have to have weight go up. Now, we're playing a game that other people aren't playing. We're trying to keep you weight stable because we know mentally that is going to be better for you, right? A lot of other places, if we are working towards getting stronger and getting better at weightlifting, well, they would just tell you, you're going to have to gain 20 pounds, right? We're saying to you, we can keep you relatively weight stable. The thing that I would add there, and the thing that I would add really in every instance, you know, I'm primarily a weightlifter also. And primarily my weight, especially after my knee surgery, has gone up a little bit. But I've also, my body fat stayed the same. So um, now in my optimal body fat, shredded, eight pack, vascular, no, I'm not, right? And, you know, I'm just too old for that shit. You know, I, I just, I'm done with that game. You know, um, it was fun. Those pictures are great. Go check them out right there in the photos on the Ethan Form page. Um, I can show you how to do it if you want to do it, but I'm 53. My wife kind of digs me, right? So I'm good, you know? Um, I think many of you are good as well, right? And that, you know, what I don't want to do is kind of give everybody permission to go, you know what? I'm actually good. I'm fine. Peace out, eat the perform. No, I still think there's, there's some management of weight along the way that does need to happen, even in my instance, right? But there has to become like this changing of ideals, right? Like one of the things that, um, you know, kind of relates to your situation is there's this idea of old man strength, right? Now there's not an idea of old women's strength, right? And if you think about why there is not an idea of old women's strength, it's because it hasn't caught up yet. The reality is, is that the body actually does want to hold on to weight. It does want to build muscle. And previous to say 10 years ago, there was not a lot of resistance training as it relates to old man strength or old women's strength. Now, dudes, we've always wanted old man strength, right? I mean, like if you see guys, a lot of the times, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to say this, say this nicely, but we would rather be strong than skinny, right? As a general rule, you know, and, and we feel better as people this isn't to say that there aren't some men that feel the opposite way, but I'm just saying in general, go to a beach and you're going to see a lot of dudes that are real happy being old man strong. Only recently has old women's strength come to be a thing, right? But naturally your body does want to hold on to muscle. It does want to hold on to fat. You should gain weight as you go, right? If you think about it, man, this is really frustrating. I'm constantly doing these dieting cycles, but my weight is sort of gradually going up. Yeah, your body actually wants to hold on to all the things that make you strong, make you more capable, keep you alive, right? So naturally, it's going to be difficult to work against that nature and try to stay 140 pounds because that was your weight when you were 25. You might have to rethink what it's like to be healthy, what it's like to you know, lift these weights, what it's like to do all these great things, you know, 
um, what you're basically doing is tearing down the muscle to build it back stronger. And so if we're doing that, sometimes weight is going to drift up and we're going to have to manage weight along the way. But what I think you're going to find is, is that if you have these rigid thoughts about what you should weigh, is that you're going to do it more often. And you shouldn't, right? Like, if you're trying to build lean mass, and we know that you are based on the larger pool of people that we see, then you should expect that your weight every couple of years should go up five pounds or so. And that's fine, right? What you want to be is that 70-year-old woman on the CrossFit page that looks amazing, but she also doesn't look like Katrin Dabba's daughter, right? She's like 160 pounds, you know. Now, I will say, sometimes there aren't always the best examples. I remember saying to um, my gym owner at one point, I was like, do you have any idea how many people in this gym have some level of body dysmorphia or some level of, of, you know, kind of eating disorder behavior? And he didn't. He, he had no idea, right? But being the nutrition guy, all the people in the gym would talk to me about this stuff, you know? And, you know, I really think that if we're going to try and get over that, we're going to have to try and go, you know what? My weight is going to have to be a little bit higher. I'm going to have to allow that as, as I age, right? But there are a lot of people that genetically can perform fairly well, even at low calories. And those people aren't always the best example, you know, but by and large, I think the healthiest bodies doing the most things are doing it more correctly rather than incorrectly, right? But there's always that outlier that people come and point to us and go, well, I know Jen, you know, she came in second at the Masters in CrossFit and she only eats 1,100 calories a day. That does exist. You're not wrong, right? But that is not allowing them to function the best that they could. They're just genetically have a superior advantage, right? So kind of keep that in mind. But I think that um, if you were going to do something, I would get a little serious about HIT or get a little serious about some long endurance once or twice a week. You know, if we're trying to, you know, if we're starting to get to concern level and your, uh, and your, um, your, want to address it with effort. This was interesting. So yesterday they had a CrossFit event at the CrossFit Games. And I'm going to use this and then we'll move on to like the lightning round because we're getting a little tight on time. Um, but there was a cardio event. And I'm not talking about like an acute thing, but I am talking about kind of the difference between shorter and longer. So it was a clean ladder. There's two events, right? And one clean ladder was lighter weights, longer run, right? And then the other clean ladder was heavier weights, shorter run. And if you watch the first one, which was the longer run, and then you saw the second one, you would go, well, that person's going to struggle. 
because they struggled in the first one. And that wasn't always the case. But what you saw very definitively was that as you added more cardio, your weightlifting became less effective, right? So if you want your weightlifting to be more effective, you have to understand cardio is going to have some effect on it. Now, I've always believed, I still believe that you have to, you have to manage your heart, right? You have to have some level of heart training more than just lifting for a one rep using weightlifting. But even, even weightlifters, Olympic weightlifters, they all have some level of hypertrophy worked into their stuff. So you're going to have to sort through what is the best plan for you? What's most important to you? Are you, is it most important to you to, to, to use weightlifting the way that it's supposed to be? Or is it more important to you to, to maintain weight, right? What's going to serve you better when you're 89? That's what I would like you to focus on, right? And so I understand weight being up three to five pounds kind of sucks, right? But some of that weight is 100% going to be lean mass. You just don't see it yet. And you may have to run a cycle later on to see it more. But I think if the more you do it, the more you will trust that the long-term plan allows you to actually gain a little bit of weight as you go. Right. And then every, you know, year to two years, you kind of uncover some of that muscle as you go. But if you want to uncover the muscle and, and be like that all the time, you're going to have to live in a very restrictive way all of the time. And that's not healthy in my opinion. All right. Okay. Lightning round. Lightning round. Okay. Any issues with introducing new workout weightlifting one to two times a week during fat loss? No, it's great. I mean, it'll help you hold on to the muscle that you have now. Okay. Another client who walks every day, will they still be able to be successful as others in their weight loss journey? Just you walking. will. So if we're just having the discussion of weight loss journey, you will have more success just walking. You won't necessarily hold on to muscle as well, but you will have more success with weight loss. Eventually, I would strongly encourage you to add some level of resistance training, even if it's just band work, body, body weight work, or something of that nature, because at the end of the day, you don't want to lose weight. You want to lose fat. And the more fat you're losing in that scenario, the better off. If you're losing weight drastically, you're going to be losing muscle in that process, right? So um, I think you're fine, right? But just allow for your mentality to change over time so that you can, you know, really focus on being more capable as we go. And, that, you know, sometimes, you know, if you have a lot of weight to lose, and let's say you're a woman and you're 250 pounds and you lose 30 pounds, um, being 220, you're naturally going to um, you're naturally going to feel more energetic throughout the day and things of that nature. This is another example that um, let's say that you're 150 pounds and you lose 30 pounds doing what you said and just walking. Well, you're doing the wrong thing, right? Because if you're trying to lose fat so that you can 
have a certain look, um, what you're going to find is that you'll get smaller, but you will compromise so much muscle in that process. The leaner you are, the more muscle you compromise with dr drastic weight loss. And what happens is, is you just kind of look smaller, um, like a, a 120 pound version, um, but don't really look different, right? So that's the argument for some resistance training over time. But if you have to start with walking, go ahead and do that. Okay, we've got a couple questions about scheduling fat loss cycles. Um, should they be done the same time of the year? She's starting July again, she did last July. I've got another one that asking the best, best schedule. So um, let's say over the course of a year, weight to lose is 20 to 30 pounds. I think the best schedule is um, the March schedule, like February, March. Um, kind of setting up for summer. Part of the reason is, is a lot of people do it in September, which I think is probably second best in my view. Um, I, I don't know, all three, you know, there's, like I said earlier, there's three. There's September, there's February, March, and then there's September. Um, hold on, I gotta mute somebody. Um, so yeah, the, um, those three, are all good for various reasons. The argument for January 1st is a lot of times people overconsume over the holidays. And so they see a drastic result and that's very motivating. My number one is February, March, um, mostly because the people that start in September, you know, if they have kids, it's a really stressful time. A lot of times you're coming over summer. Summer also has the advantage of Hey, maybe you have more beers in Dairy Queen than you wanted to. So people tend to have overconsumed over the summer. So it can be motivating. A lot of the times right around Labor Day, like I said, if you have kids, maybe even if not, we're kind of like, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but, but everybody that was on vacation now is not on vacation. So the organizations tend to, to be a little bit more productive in September and that tends to cause a little bit of stress as a result also. So I would say, you know, they all have their advantage and they all can be motivating over time. But I think March is most efficient just because um, the amount of stress that would normally happen in uh, September just isn't there. You've worked through that through the year. The stress of the holidays is away. So I, I, I tend to think that that's a little bit more of an advantage. For the person that, that did July um, and started in July, I wouldn't look at things rigidly in that way. Um, you certainly could reevaluate based on July if that's when you started. Um, I still kind of prefer like those three dates, right? And then adjusting off of those dates if you're, you know, that's the discussion you would have with your coach, right? Is if you spent the year and in that year, you know, you lost 20 to 25 pounds and then now your, your weight's up five to seven pounds and you're wondering whether or not you should run a cycle right now or wait till September, you know, you're going to have to factor in a lot of things as it relates to that. 
but that's the discussion you would have with your coach. But there's no reason you, you can't do it that way. Okay, we've got one left. I think Becky has um, addressed the rest of them. If uh, Kristen's asking if IF makes sense during fat loss, say on low days, does it add un does it undo or add too much stress in addition to the lower calories? So 1000%, it does add stress and adds a lot of stress. And often I see it show up. So for those that don't know, I am an advocate for intermittent fasting, um, but I'm not an advocate for intermittent fasting just because, right? Like you have to have macros, you have to understand kind of what your, your phase you're in. And the majority of the time, I'm not intermittent fasting. But the time that I am intermittent fasting is going to be in fat loss the way that she's describing. And I will use it on a low day, right? Because I want to pack most of my food. Now, what does that mean? Are you opening yourself up to five hours sleep that night? Yes, you are, right? Are you opening yourself up to blood sugar swings, right? All the magic everybody talks about, you know, with the autography and all these things that are sort of made up. All those things happen in fat loss no matter what, right? But nobody ever tells you about their nails getting weak or their hair going out or all these extreme things that, that are happening because of all these extreme things that they are doing as a result, right? You're probably not at risk two days a week. But don't be surprised if you find it a little bit more stressful. I do find it a little bit more stressful, but I'm able to deal with it with naps or some other things that allow me. I don't always have issues. Um, you know, a lot of times if I come into a fat loss cycle with good sleep going for quite a bit, it'll transfer over to that fat loss cycle kind of no matter what. Um, you can also play with the times, right? So, you know, um, I find it easier to adhere to the diet um, when I fast longer because I like to have bigger meals, right? But sometimes that diet adherence advantage gets lost in the stress advantage, right? So if you're least stressed, stopping at noon compared to four, I would try it both ways to feel what's most right, right? But 100%, you know, I think we should all, you know, have periods where we're comfortable, you know, not eating, right? Um, and managing that, because I think that we would all benefit from that experience, right? Um, but not, it's not for everyone, you know, and, and if it makes you overly stressed and things of this nature, I mean, one of the things that happens to me, it happens to a lot of you all also is that as we reduce these calories, you'll often get headaches. Fasting will accelerate those headaches. Now you can get ahead of that a bit, right. By taking some ibuprofen or something. And usually your body will adjust within, you know, I'd say a week to 10 days, but some people it doesn't adjust. And for those people, intermittent fasting is not the answer, right? Um, and so, so a lot of these intermittent fasting people, you know, 
Look, intermittent fasting and low carb is real simple. And if we look at the magic advantage of it, it's the simplicity of it, right? But it also accelerates the suck and the struggle because most of them don't have an idea of how many calories that they're eating. And so you'll see people that run like three-day fasting cycles, as an example, and they lose seven to 10 pounds of water, and then they gain 12 pounds of water back, right, um, by the time they're done. And so they suffered for three days to basically gain all the weight back. Now, there will be people that go, but Paul, my friend is intermittent fasting, you know, and she's lost a lot of weight. Well, is your friend 265 pounds, right? Is your, was your friend over-consuming massively? I mean, I don't know many of you guys going to the grocery store, but every time I go to the grocery store, I see people with like cartfuls of, of soda, right? Sugared soda in a lot of instances. And I mean, I'm not trying to place judgment because I, because I get it, you know, not everybody, you know, operates with the same level of health consciousness that, that we might, and that they might have to get there later. And, and there's a lot of pressure for your kids to drink Mountain Dew and all this other stuff. And I'm not going to get into that. But at the same time, right, when I look at that, it's like seeing a smoker, you know, like, don't we all know, <laughs> right? Like you're actively choosing, you know? So now all of a sudden you go, well, I'm cutting out all the sugar, you know? And man, I cut out all the sugar and now I'm down 15 pounds. Well, yeah, but the rest of us weren't over consuming sugar the whole time. So like you didn't discover the secrets to fat loss, right? What happened was, is that you basically you know, we're over consuming and now you're not. And then when you add in nutrients, you know, versus, you know, sugar, which doesn't really add you a lot. And then, oh, by the way, caffeine, like how many times have all of you seen someone consuming a Mountain Dew at, you know, seven o'clock at night? And you're just like, oh my God, like if I did that, I would be awake till 5 a.m., you know? And they're like, oh, caffeine doesn't affect me. And then they stay up to 2 a.m. every single day playing video games, right? It's like, you know, there gets to be a point where as a, as, as a young person in particular, right? Like, because a lot of parents that are buying this stuff for their kids and sugary cereals and things of this nature, it's so funny because I will talk about the value of flexible eating and the value of having a piece of chocolate. People lose their mind about that, right? But then you go to the grocery store and you see people, you know, that are buying sugary cereals and, and sodas, sugary sodas and stuff like this. And I'm talking about like, like 200 calories of chocolate, right? This is not the problem. <laughs> the problem is when you are not paying attention. And I think that if, you know, you're buying this stuff for your kids. Now, I will tell you this. I don't think it's to your advantage to um, deny it, right? But if you put it in your house 
you're the problem, right? But if if they want a single can of Mountain Dew, you're gonna have to walk your ass to Holiday a mile and a half to get it, right? You can have it. I'm your dad. I'm gonna allow you to have it, but you're gonna have to really want it, you know. And I think that a lot of the parents that are in that situation feel like they're in a no-win situation and they're constantly fighting the food battle and they're constantly fighting the soda battle. Well, guess what? That's the fucking plan you signed up for as a parent, you know, is that you're going to have to try and win occasionally and you're going to have to try and manage things occasionally, but you're also going to have to sit down and think about it. You know, if you think about like the whole point of this podcast, we'll end on this note. You know, and I'm sorry if you don't like people that curse. Um, I'm just one of those people. You know, we put a little E, you know, on the thing so people know that, that you know, I mean, all of you are adults and I get it. You know, some of the people think, well, you can get the point across. Eh, I'm not sure you can. You know, I think, I think sometimes it requires an F word, right, to really get it across. Um, but there's a lot of parents that do feel paralyzed by this and the reason why they feel paralyzed by it is because life is just happening to them and they're reacting to it and they go i don't want to have this battle i was at work all day for 10 to 11 hours i'm gonna allow my kid to drink a coke with their mcdonald's at 7 30 at night because i don't feel like making dinner right for today that's fine right but if you do that all the time without thinking about it and that becomes your norm right habits work like that if you have a good habit and you work on it you will continue down that path most of the case if you allow bad habits to replace good habits that's also true either way you are choosing right and so you can't say that parenting is difficult if you never sit down and analyze why it's difficult, right? And if it sounds to me, if it sounds to you like this guy sounds like he's got all the answers and Mr. Big Shot, are you joking, <laughs> right? Parenting is one of these things where you feel lost. You know, I remember reading all the parenting books and stuff like this, and then all of a sudden you got this little kid crying in your arms and you just feel like the most vulnerable person on the planet. So if I sound like somebody that has it all figured out, you know, the, the thing that I think makes people better is the humility related to that situation that I don't know all the answers, but I'm willing to go down the hard path to try different things, right? And if you're battling a three-year-old and you can't beat the three-year-old in terms of intelligence, that's not going to be good when they get to be 16. You have to start your winning and you have to start your thinking early on and you have to take that parenting seriously, right? And I think a lot of us, you know, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, and I was playing peewee football and all these sports and stuff like this. I mean, my dad was the coach, so so my dad was there. But most of that stuff was was babysitting, right? And so mom and dad would go grocery shopping at that time or or whatever. That's not the case anymore. We're spending all of our time 
devoting more time and attention to our children, right? For all the things that they want, right? And in that time, we need to have some analysis of how we can manage the situation better. Because I'm going to tell you, when your kids get 16, they're going to be smarter than you, right? They just, they just have a level of intelligence and consuming that's different. And they don't believe a damn word you're saying. So you have to start to get some of these messages in before you know, they become a little bit rebellious. And I have great children, you know, both of which are, you know, 19 and, and 21 um, and have a great relationship with those kids. But in those two kids, there's two very different situations. And I have to think differently in both situations about those relationships and how to manage those relationships, right? And if I didn't, I don't think they'd be as good of kids. Right. Um, but, you know, we don't need to get into super parenting mode and things of that nature. I can't even remember what the original question was. It was about it was about fasting. Um, but <laughs> so, so anyway, um, man, just I just think of that, you know, five to ten comments in the in the podcast review. Those people have unsubscribed. <laughs> um, but hopefully, you know. I, I view this as a conversation that I'm having with all of you, right? And hopefully um, that's helpful. I mean, I think we had something like 67 people when we first started. So a lot of people want to have these conversations. So we're going to keep having them. And the people that don't like it, you know, there's a lot of podcasts on the internet, you know, that maybe are a better fit, right? But I'm sure I'm not for everyone. You know, there's a lot of coaches within Eden Reform where, you know, we all have kind of a different style, right? So hopefully you give them a chance um, as we go. So I appreciate everybody being here and I'll see everybody next month on Lifetime Power. Talk to you later.